This is Digital Impact 4Q4. I'm Chris Delatore. Today's four questions are for Jeffrey Warren, co-founder of Public Lab, a nonprofit network of citizen scientists dedicated to creating awareness and accountability around environmental concerns. With funding from a 2018 Digital Impact grant, the Public Lab team is developing a set of management tools for privacy-first, user-friendly data input, archiving, and sharing among social sector organizations. The Community Data Privacy Toolkit, or CDPT, would mitigate the abuse and misuse of location data, a growing challenge that puts activists and the communities they serve at risk. Jeff, this is a topic most of us might be too intimidated to explore on our own. But location tracking affects everyone with a mobile phone through Google Maps and apps for social networking, banking, and weather, to name a few. If an invisible someone knows where we are at every moment, how can we better protect ourselves? What weaknesses should we be aware of? Well, I think um, it's something that, you know, location privacy is something that has been increasingly in people's awareness. Uh, You know, the New York Times has done a couple of really great pieces where they've used actually, I think, uh, either leaked or, or court-ordered release data um, showing literally where tech companies, you know, exactly what data points tech companies have, uh, sh- you know, on our location on a day-to-day or even minute-by-minute basis. Uh, and it's, it's, it is scary to see that they can, they can pinpoint what building you're in, how long you're there, uh, the route that you drove and where you stopped. Um, and, you know, there certainly are promises of responsible use, but, uh, but you know, that uh, it's maybe more comforting for some people than others. I think when it comes down to it, there's two parts of it. One of them is we do need better transparency. We need to demand better transparency. We've gotten a few more tools now where you can set location access uh, with more granularity on apps uh, in recent versions of Android, for example. But, you know, beyond like putting your phone in a, like a metal wallet or something, uh, getting a little bit <laughs> paranoid in that respect, that you don't have a lot of granularity. Um, so I think the real responsibility is on the people who are designing systems. And that's why with, the, with, with this project, we, we really sought to come up with a, a framework. I mean, we've developed specific tools, but really what we're trying to do is develop a set of norms around location privacy, and get people thinking about the privacy of their location as opposed to just like their social security number. I think people tend to think of location privacy as all or nothing, on or off. And that's actually literally how apps are built uh, for the most part. Uh, Like I think the only granularity you get now in Android is uh, whether it can only access your location while the app is on or whether it can do it at any time at once. Whereas what we've come up with uh, is kind of a Zoom level based granularity. So you could share more specific location or less specific location. And that dimension, I think, is a really powerful way to think about location privacy because it shouldn't be an all or nothing. Josh Levenger's work in Gaza while at the MIT Center for Civic Media is one example of how blurring location data can keep individuals safe. But traditionally vulnerable populations aren't the only ones at risk. 
Let's say you're organizing around an environmental catastrophe, like an oil spill or responding to a human rights crisis in a dangerous part of the world. What is it that makes location blurring so effective for regional activist networks, for human rights defenders and environmental activists who put themselves in harm's way? You're totally right. Public Lab is a, an environmental organization. Uh, we work with environmental justice groups on uh, you know, pollution, issues that affect people, where, where health and people's uh, well-being is at risk. Um, and so, you know, it, it, the privacy element is really important, but environmental catastrophes are fundamentally spatial. So you could be upstream or downstream of something. You could be upwind or downwind of uh, a plume of smoke. You you might be, um, you know, uh, at a relationship to something else in a given watershed so that the groundwater is flowing across something that you're worried about. So those sorts of spatial distinctions are really important to be able to communicate and organize around. Uh, and so what we really um, wanted to do was to, create a vocabulary around the, the sharing of partial location, uh, which is to say, I'm not going to tell you exactly where I am, but I'm going to give you a general sense that I'm, you know, uh, in a neighborhood uh, down, downstream from this other place uh, or something like that, because people need to be able to make spatial arguments in their advocacy work in order to hold polluters accountable uh, and in order to record that kind of harm. So the variable location or blurred location uh, approach, it it should be kind of familiar. I mean, you know, you you could imagine uh, if you blur someone's face, you can tell it's a person, and you can sort of generally see something about them without seeing exactly who they are. You might be able to tell some things about them, or if you if you you know uh, obfuscate uh, data, you might round the data so you're not giving such a precise location. And that rounding is exactly what we're doing with blurred location. We're, we're rounding the coordinates. Public Lab's approach to project development emphasizes community engagement, specifically through the use of open source code. It's creating a seamless user experience that's been particularly challenging for you. You've explored a number of existing options from postal codes to Airbnbs in this area model. What benefits have you found from using a community-based model to propel this technology forward? Well, what we found is that there's an enormous energy from what is typically a younger and more diverse community of people around the world who are learning how to code. And more than that, they're setting new norms for how to treat one another that really fly in the face of the status quo in tech. Uh, and, and by creating spaces that are really welcoming and, and mutually supportive, we've been really lucky to be able to work with hundreds of new programmers to build systems like this one. But to your question, I think it goes deeper than just being more diverse and inclusive. It really has ramifications for how code is written and how systems are built. Um, by contrast, you could look at, say, facial recognition or other systems that are envisioned and developed primarily by you know, the technology community, which is primarily white, primarily male, uh, primarily, say, in the Bay Area, for example. Uh, and their sort of failure to understand really critical issues around facial recognition that get at privacy, they get at vulnerability, they get at rights and things like that that just maybe aren't front of mind for the, that group of people in the way they are for other demographics. So by having a more diverse group and inviting people in in an open source model where anyone can learn the skills they'll need to contribute and are supported and welcomed in, 
we get a much more diverse group of contributors working on this code. And that informs the actual work. They're not just executing the work that we've written down line by line or something. They're bringing new ideas, new perspectives to the work. And I think that really does play into how the systems we build, how they work, how they're designed, how they look. Um, I, I would note that I, I think there are real challenges to extending that into the space of design because the open source model is primarily one of writing code, whereas a lot of what we're dealing with here is about doing design, interface designs or user experience design work that is very smooth and effective and, and, uh, and intuitive. Uh, so I think we're, we're, still, we're still learning about how to do a community-based model for design work. But, you know, I think it's great that, um, that we're trying, and I think we've made a lot of progress on the code side to start with and to build on. Humanizing geospatial technology seems to be the biggest challenge here, to go beyond the science community, to share scenarios in the real world where it's useful. Here's how you put it on your website. Quote, we're interested in tools that can offer people in online spaces the ability to organize, coordinate, and communicate in regional scopes while placing the decision of how precisely to share location in the hands of those whose privacy is at stake. End quote. How can we communicate the importance of local control of geospatial data, both to technologists and the data science community, and also to people who want to protect their privacy? Well, I think it's a challenge. Uh, I, I think a lot, of the, a lot of the prioritization of these issues comes from demands from people who are using the technologies. And... You know, if you think about in academia, how a lot of these issues are addressed, they come from an awareness that people are vulnerable or might be, uh, you know, say the institutional review board process, which I think is very important ethically, but it, it doesn't really, it's not really a process which is run by communities who have the biggest stake. It's run by the institution. So I think there's some kind of inverting of that model which has to happen for this to be effective. And that's something the public lab is very invested in, in the community science model, um, where communities are really at the center of the process and are, are calling the shots, so to speak. So there's that inversion. I also just think there's a couple of basic things, like don't make a mysterious algorithm when, you, when it's not needed. Um, you know, People think, well, 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 we'll have this model and it'll be really complex uh, for managing the privacy and the user won't have to think about it and so forth. No, I, I think the, the technological systems that we create should follow the human understanding. So it's not like we have some sort of crude metaphor or just sort of something happening behind a curtain. But you can actually see how it works. And hopefully, if it's well-designed, it's simple enough that you're not juggling a lot. Um, you know, you should be able to, in this case, in, with location privacy, you should be able to understand and uh, act on the amount of privacy you get uh, without having to do a calculation or something, without having to run code or anything like that. And I think, you know, we use this simple model of truncating the latitude and longitude coordinates. Uh, so you can just glance at the coordinates and you get a sense. It's not hard to translate that into uh, an amount of privacy. So I think that idea that what's happening in the back end, that we're storing these latitudes and longitudes, it's not being done differently than it's being shown to you. There's a, there's a commonality. And so there's a, that with that comes an honesty about how much information is actually being stored. Often, when we think about privacy or we think about designing systems, we think about what is shown to people as being different 
from what is actually stored. And that shouldn't be the case, you know? If you are telling people that you're only, if you're showing people that you're only storing this much privacy, it should not be the case that in your database, you actually have a lot more precision. And you're only, you know, you're, you're sort of the, the, the master of that extra secret information. No, it should be transparent uh, through, through from what's shown to the user down to what's on the back end. So I think that's really important. I guess, you know, in that sense, that mix of transparency and accountability, local community control, those are all part of the public cloud model writ large. So I think that's, it's, it's an important thing to note that this idea of location privacy is just one facet of a broader set of work that public lab does. And it sort of speaks to the values. If you'd like to learn more about public lab, you can follow us on Twitter at public lab. Um, and as I'm stepping away from public lab, you can continue to follow my work at, at JY Warren uh, on Twitter. And you can learn more about public lab in general at publiclab.org. Jeffrey Warren, co-founder of Public Lab, thank you. Digital Impact is a program of the Digital Civil Society Lab at the Stanford Center on Philanthropy and Civil Society. Follow this and other episodes at digitalimpact.io and on Twitter at DGTLImpact with hashtag 4Q4Data. Four